Hello, you are listening to the Michigan Mausoleum, your premier source for goth and alternative culture, news, and talk in the Great Lakes area. Now, come inside and join your host, Rokus Doran. Hello again, and welcome to episode three of the Michigan Mausoleum. This edition is lovingly dedicated to a figure in Michigan folklore, both feared and beloved, the Michigan Dogman. First, I dive into some of the history and legends of our local werewolf, and then I will sit down with a filmmaker who is coming to Michigan soon to make a horror movie about the Dogman. But first, news and events. News and events. This is what's going on in the Great Lakes area. March Violets cancels its U.S. tour dates. The iconic British band was scheduled to do several U.S. shows in August-September following their European tour, including one show at the Magic Bag in Ferndale, Michigan. But they had to cancel this leg of their tour due to troubles getting travel visas in time. We do look forward to seeing them when they can make it to this side of the water. If you attended Convergence 24 in 2018, you had the opportunity to see Sunshine Blind perform. Well, the band has recently reformed and now with their original lineup for the first time since 2003. This happened following the reissue of their first three albums digitally. We can now look forward to more original Sunshine Blind material, though they currently have no intention of touring. On August 14th, Revolver Magazine, named Burn Your Bible, the first release by Twin Temple off of its new album God Is Dead, to be one of the top six best new songs released that week. The satanic doo-wop duo will be performing along with Danzig and Behemoth on September 14th at the Masonic Temple Theater in Detroit. Tickets are now on sale for Cabaret du Mortel by Goth of Grand Rapids. Come celebrate Halloween and goth culture at the Cabaret du Mortel Showcase of the Dark Performance Arts. Don your best formal wear costume for our contest and revel in the delights and debaucheries our cabaret has to offer. This is a strictly 21-plus event, and tickets are available on Evenbrite. The Detroit-based band Serpentine, fronted by Satanic Temple founder Shiva Honey, has released its first full album, Devotion, Satanic Ritual Music for Love, Loss, and Desire. The album is intended as a musical companion to the book The Devil's Tome, also written by Shiva Honey. Vinyl copies are currently available, and the downloadable version can be uh, pre-ordered, but will not be released until Devil's Night of this year. Across the bridge in Toronto, on September 2nd, the dance and play party Fate is holding its Dark Sacrament event. Are you a mage, a warrior, or a thief? All are welcome to dance as we complete the ritual cycle. This will be held at 3030 Dundas Street West in Toronto. And those are the news and events. If something is going on in your area you think we should know about, feel free to message the show or post on the Facebook group. So, let's talk werewolves. If you lived in Michigan all of your life, you may well have grown up hearing stories of the Michigan Dogman. 
a more than seven-foot-tall beast with the head of a wolf who can walk upright or on all fours as he pleases. But what do we really know about him, or about lycanthropes in general? Well, did you know that werewolves have a sense of humor? For example, what do you call a werewolf who falls into a washing machine? A washing werewolf. <laughs> there, you see, they're not so bad. Actually, most of what we know about the myths and legends of werewolves comes from medieval Europe. But the oldest known story of a human becoming a wolf actually dates to about 2100 BCE and is part of the Sumerian Epic of Gilgamesh. Men becoming wolves can also be found in the ancient writings of Greece. Sometimes these individuals were tragic figures in the story who were turned into wolves by the gods as a punishment. Other times they were heroes. The Greek historian Herodotus wrote about a people called the Nuri, who he said could change themselves into four-legged beasts by cloaking themselves in the skins of wolves. But it really wasn't until the Middle Ages that belief in werewolves became really widespread, and that's when it also became associated with witchcraft and demonic possession. Witches, it was believed, could turn themselves and others into animals of many kinds, including wolves. The hunts and trials of individuals suspected of being werewolves started as a sort of an offshoot of the witch hunts. This happened mainly in Switzerland first, but then spread across Europe and reached its eventual peak in the 16th century. Ways by which a person might become a werewolf or how to identify them in human form varied widely depending on local superstitions and church teachings. A bite from a suspected werewolf would certainly do it, but there were ways someone might deliberately become a lycanthrope. Wearing the skin of a wolf or a belt made from wolf skin was one way. Also, there was sleeping outside under the moonlight on certain times of the year. It could also happen by deliberately drinking rainwater directly from a werewolf paw print. That last one is a bit of obscure lichen lore, often ignored by horror authors and filmmakers today, so I was pleasantly surprised when it was used by the writers of the first season of Hemlock Grove. Kudos on that one. It was also believed that being born on Christmas Eve or on Christmas morning was such an insult to the Christ child that it left the newborn baby open to possession by a demon and thus becoming a werewolf. A werewolf could be identified in human form a number of ways. Excessive body hair was one. Having joined eyebrows was another. It was also believed in Russia that bristles under the tongue indicated that the individual was in fact a werewolf. With the decline of the witch hunt craze, werewolf and vampire lore combined to become the lifeblood of gothic fiction. One of the most influential werewolf novels is The Werewolf of Paris, written in 1933 by Guy Endor. It was praised as being the Dracula of werewolf literature. It's the story of a young man who had the audacity to be born on Christmas Eve and was therefore cursed with lycanthropy. The book became the inspiration for the 1961 film Curse of the Werewolf and The Legend of the Werewolf in 1975. Okay, so that's werewolves. The stories and legends have spread almost to every continent, and many places have their own tales. But what about our local boy, the Michigan Dogman? What do we actually know about him? 
Well, those who claim to have seen him say that he moves on all fours or on two legs like a man. He has eyes of either bright yellow or bright blue and has a fearsome howl that sounds like a human scream. One of the oldest uh, accounts is said to have been from 19th century lumberjacks. The logging industry was booming in Michigan at that time, so if anyone was going to see something strange in the woods, lumberjacks would be a good bet. As the story goes, an unnamed member of a logging camp saw what he took to be a wolf until it stood up on its hind legs and glared at him. Since then, there have been other undocumented accounts from hunters who have seen similar things, and some people who have claimed to have heard the screaming sound of the beast at night. The best known part of the Dogman story may be a certain song that was called The Legend. It was written and recorded by a Traverse City radio DJ named Steve Cook and was first broadcast in April of 1987. The song seems to be based on eyewitness accounts and describes a seven foot four monster that appears every 10 years. It has bright blue eyes, an eerily human sounding scream and terrorizes hunters and tourists alike. When played, the song became an instant hit. Many listeners called the station with their own stories of encounters with the Dogman. Though despite all of the stories, no physical evidence of the Dogman's existence was ever pre presented, not until 2007. At that time, a man named Mike Agrusa posted footage to the internet that he said he took as a boy in the 1970s. The footage seems to show uh, their family on vacation in northern Michigan. It also shows a large wolf-like creature running on all fours, apparently moving to attack from the woods. The footage has become known as the Gable film, and it seemed to finally settle the issue of the Dogman's reality. He was real. Or was he? As it turns out, the Gable film was a fake. Mike Agrusa admitted to the hoax, and he explained how he faked the footage, and even said that it was he who was in the Dogman's suit. Despite this admission, many still believe the footage is real. Many more still are convinced that the similarities in the eyewitness stories as recounted in the song lyrics are too accurate to ignore. What is not commonly known about the song, however, is that it was not based on any eyewitness accounts, nor even on local legends. Steve Cook said that he wrote the song from his own imagination and recorded it as an April, Fru April Fool's prank. He said that he was genuinely surprised by the influx of calls the station received and that he was not aware of any dogman. How then did he get so many details right? The eyes, the scream. Well, though many have claimed to see strange things in the woods, no encounter with a dogman has ever been verified, and none of the reports of seeing a blue-eyed screaming wolfman exist prior to the release of the 1987 song. So what does this all mean? Is there a dogman lurking in the woods of the Lower Peninsula? Did Cook just happen to correctly guess the details of a creature that he didn't really know existed? Or did the song serve as a kind of a catalyst for the formation of a myth, a way for isolated campfire stories to be sewn together in a way that seems to be true? Well, that's for each of you to decide. It's certainly not hard to believe that a yet undiscovered species of animal might live in the vast forests of Michigan. Perhaps one day something like the Dogman will be discovered. Personally, 
I'm more inclined to think that what we do currently know about the Michigan wilderness can offer some explanation as to what's been seen. From a distance, small bears can be mistaken for wolves. And what many may not realize is that bears are capable of walking on their hind legs. Bears with injured paws have been known to walk for miles that way in a gait that looks surprisingly human. But what about that distinctive howl? The one that sounds like a tortured human scream. What you have just heard is not a person being brutally murdered, but was a mountain lion. Females of the species give this blood-curdling cry at the beginning of their mating cycle. Mountain lions are native to Michigan, but were hunted to near extinction and are only just now beginning to make a comeback. But during the 19th century, they were more plentiful. Personally, if I were a logger and I heard this cry coming out of the darkness, I doubt I would have pegged it as a mountain lion. More likely, I would have just dropped my axe, run for the nearest city, and never gone back into the woods again. So what are we to make of this? Well, whether or not the dogman is real, the stories and the folklore that have grown up around it are undeniably powerful. They make campfire stories all the more terrifying, and they have served as the basis for song and story. In 2011, a movie called The Dogman was made based on the legend, and it won't be the last. Another film, entitled Fearsome Howl, is currently in the works. It's scheduled to begin filming next year, and its director is our special guest for this episode. So if you're not done hearing about the Michigan Dogman, sit back and join me for a conversation with Jermaine Nix, the director of the upcoming film Fearsome Howl. Conversation with our special guest for this episode, Jermaine Nix. Uh, Mr. Nix is an independent filmmaker based in North Carolina. He's also an actor, writer, and producer. Getting ready to film a uh, uh, begin filming on a movie about a uh, bit of Michigan folklore. Uh, welcome to the program, Mr. Nix. Thank you. North Carolina now, but you were. Uh, born in uh, Michigan, how did you how did you get into film? What uh, g- give us the early story? Um, so I started filming when I was actually probably when I was thirteen years old. Um, I grew up literally in a small town um, in Michigan, uh, Southport in Michigan, and uh, I remember my parents buying me my first camcorder, and I didn't had no idea how to work it, but I learned how to work it. And I went out in the middle of the woods and started being creative with ideas. I always imagined there was like monsters and whatnot out there. Um, And I just always loved being able to create new things and being able to capture something um, and always able to tell a story. And I was huge into horror, um, which is funny because when I was little, I was always terrified of horror films. Um, my first horror film that actually made me sleep in my parents' room was uh, Michael Myers' um, Halloween, the first Halloween. And uh, But after that, I started love getting deeper involved in the horror films when I got older. Um, I started working at Haunted House Attractions. Um, I started uh, diving deeper into horrors. Um, and it was just something I loved doing. Um, always people ask like, why do you always like watching horror films? And I just, it's just, just watching the mysterious things about it. Um, 
and learning new things and trying to figure out who the killer is, especially slasher films. Um, but now, I mean, I, I love filming. I mean, I've been filming for quite a while now. Um, there was a time period where I had to stop filming. Um, just life just got stopped me. And um, but filming has always been my passion. It's always been something that every time I go on set, it's a happy place. It's like one of my therapeutic kind of things to do. And I enjoy being able to help other people on their projects and being able to being able to tell other people's stories as well. Wow. I, a lot of what you just said really resonates with me because when I was, when I was younger, I was terrified. I had a very active imagination and I was terrified of horror films too, but now I am a complete junkie. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> so I, I really do hear that. Uh, where exactly in Michigan did you grow up? Uh, I grew up, I was born in Cadillac, but then I mostly grew up in like South Borman, Michigan, but pretty much Traverse City area. Okay, so you had plenty of woods to disappear into with your camera. Oh, yeah, I had, I had a lot of woods. And it was one of those areas where the town was so small, everyone knew everyone. And we would literally, like, walk around downtown. We would literally walk on the railroad tracks where we weren't supposed to. And we would always go at night and see if we captured things. Um, it was one of those things where we're able to do things without trying to get in trouble because everyone knew everyone. So when some <laughs> people, when people saw us, they're like, Oh, we know what they're doing. Right. I, I definitely understand that. Um, I mean, if I, if I, where I grew up, um, it was on the front range of Colorado. We had hardly any trees. So, you know, no tree cover. You had to find more creative ways of getting in trouble. Um, but um, okay. So, when was the first time you got into, you, you are an actor as well. You act in your own movies. When was the first time you got into acting? Was it in a film or did you, like when you were in high school, did you get into theater? Um, I think when I was in, I believe when I was a freshman or no, no, no. I think it was in eighth grade. Uh, I was in theater and I pretty much just kind of got thrown in there. Um, I wasn't really a big fan of theater because all of the, all the beats and all the way you got to stand and everything in front of the audience. Um, but I pretty much started getting fully into acting and film. I did a lot of background extras when I moved down here to North Carolina. And then I realized, okay, maybe I can kind of be in a role, like a lead role. Um, and that's when Dark Trepidation got involved, um, which I wrote, direct, and produce, and acted in as well. Um, and... I enjoyed it. It was one of the things where I didn't really know what I was doing, <laughs> um, but it was one of the things where I, I wanted to do and at least try. Um, but if somebody asked me today to act in a film, I probably would say no. Um, I love being behind the camera. Um, I love capturing everything from behind the camera and being able just to direct. Um, I'm, I even tell people I'm not the best actor. Uh, I don't like acting anymore unless it's a role that I really think I can do, but I try to be just be behind the camera as much as possible. So you're not planning on being in your, uh, your, um, uh, your most recent film, the one that you're possibly coming to Michigan to film. Yeah. So that one, um, we're actually filming the concept actually right now. Um, I'm acting in that. 
And it, it's it's kind of difficult for me to say that I'm enjoying to act in it because I'm not really an actor, but I kind of just wanted to kind of step in that acting spot again. Um, but we have uh, Carson, who's our DP and our camera operator. He's kind of been directing me to kind of get into that character and um, just kind of focusing on what I want and what I kind of need for the concept. Um, but yeah, for the actual full length film, I, I would just be behind the camera directing. Okay. And you said dark trepidation. That was your first, was that the first time you directed? So I, I miscorrected. Um, actually I didn't direct that one. That was actually directed by someone else. Um, okay. yeah, my first ever directing film. Um, I kind of don't remember cause I've done a lot of films. Um, but I think the most mainly one that I did direct was um the last nightmare which is a fan film with freddy cougar that was probably my first ever one um and then i've done a bunch of fan films i did a texas chainsaw massacre one i directed that one and every set that i go on to i'm always learning something new um i'm never perfect with a lot of things um and a lot of the films i've done i be able to release it because i couldn't finish it because there was problems and some of the actors just couldn't fit in their schedule and all that stuff. So it was, it's a learning thing, um, especially like Fearsome Howls. This is my main focus on this one and trying to figure out, get funds to be able to make it and being able to work on my documentary, how I became a filmmaker um, and just everything, how I got involved and what I faced in life and how difficult it was to become a filmmaker and just being able to, understand how to direct the right way um was was a, it was a learning curve for sure i from youtube i never went to school for film um it was all self-taught and i didn't have to spend thousands of dollars to go to college to the paper and say oh you you, you pass okay but just watching youtube videos you can learn so much how to become a successful filmmaker so the documentary then is sort of auto, it's uh, autobiographical and that's what you're working on right now. Is, is that your most like where your focus is now? Um, my main focus is pretty much between Fearsome Howl and the documentary. Um, my documentary I've been planning for a while. Fearsome Howl's I've been planning for nine plus years. Um, but I will be coming to Michigan in September to film the documentary, actually. Um, and I'll be up there for a week. And um, I'm going to be going to my old high school. I'm going to be meeting up with some of my uh, classmates that I used to went to school with. Um, I'm going to be seeing some teachers. Uh, I'm going to go to places that I used to visit. And um, just kind of being able to show how hard it was, how I became a filmmaker, and what I went through, and what I go through today as being a filmmaker. Um, especially knowing that being an independent filmmaker is not my full-time job. Um, I mean, I have a full-time job and trying to cope with that and trying to film, it, it can be a challenge, but I've always tried to find time to film, um, especially I'm off this week. So I'm on like a mini vacation to be able to kind of do things and um, being able to vlog things. I, I love going hiking and especially when I go hiking, it's one of those things where I come up with new ideas like, okay, I should do this as a film or I should put this in the film. So it's one right. of those things where I, I, I just kind of, grow as I'm in exploring new things. I'm curious, what is your full-time job? I'm actually, I work at a baseball stadium. Um, I'm actually a community relations and mascot coordinator. 
oh, there's got to be a horror story there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a murderous mascot. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's let's get into Fear is based on uh, Michigan monster folklore and folklore movies and films and you know, you know, books and other stories that are based on folklore. I mean, that's that's such a rich source for you know really good stories because it's something that particularly the people who've grown up in a given area can connect with uh give us some background on fearsome how where the idea came from what the the original story was how it inspired you to you know make a movie just tell us how this happened so i mean being from michigan i've always wanted to do something that was from my home state and I've always loved urban legends and folklore and stories. And when I heard about the Michigan Dogman, I listened to the actual song that there's a rape um, song about it. And I was like, okay, I can probably make this a film. And it, it was not going to be easy because of everything that I needed. I needed a costume. I needed a dogman. I needed like the right crew and cast. When I wrote the first script, the first draft, it... It, I didn't click. I didn't like it. I, I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? And I think like two to three years went by. And then I saw a guy that's actually from Michigan make a Dogman film. And I'm like, oh, great. There goes my idea. And when I first watched it, I'm like, okay, you never see the Dogman. You never, you just see a POV of whatever they think that is going to be the Dogman. And it was, it was really a cheesy film. Um, and I mean, I watched it. They made a second one, a third one right now. And I was like, I was like, I can do better. I, I can, I think I can be able to tell the original story of the Dogman. And a lot of research, like a lot of research of how the Dogman became. Um, apparently, he's always seen every seven years, and he's has this howl. It sounds like a human scream, and. I was like, okay, it's been nine years now. Let's put this to work. And I got with my makeup crew and they're like, okay, we can probably make a costume or a suit. And it took them a few, it took them about a year to get back with me about the suit. And I didn't want to show too much of the suit because I didn't want to give away too much of the story. So we only showed probably the fur. We only showed the claws. We didn't really show much of the head because we didn't want to give away what it really was. Right. And it was it was difficult kind of the first day I found the concept because we didn't we weren't sure exactly what direction to go with it. And the lighting was an issue because mostly in horror films, you want to film someone when it's night. And that's when it gets more creepy. Sure. So sure. It was, it was tough, um, and knowing that we kind of had to do some backing up a little bit, and we were like, okay, we're going to have to film stuff during the daytime so we don't have to worry about lighting. And I, I was like, okay, we're just going to have to do some more research. So I went back and did some more research of how the dogman walks, does he run, what, is, what, what does his movements look like. And because I wanted to, everything to be everything that I don't want people from Michigan going like, OK, that's not how the dogman walks or the way it, it moves. Um, so but again, a lot of no one really knows what the dogman really does, because, again, it's just a fork. No one knows know what it actually looks like um, unless somebody literally has full 100 percent proof of the dogman. Um, but I've always loved 
creatures and especially this is my first ever big monster movie and when i posted it i believe four years ago that i was doing a dogman film it blew up in the michigan film production group page on facebook and i was like okay this is this is our shot and i think once we kind of film or knowing that we're bringing a film in michigan about the dogman it's going to draw in a lot of attention um i had a lot of people say hey you can use our house you can use our land and um but it's it's one of those things where it's definitely going to draw a lot of attention. Is there a particular area in Michigan that is, you know, where that this story comes from that is supposed to be the dog man's territory? I mean, if so, or do you have an area that you, if you do come to Michigan, uh, you plan to film in? I would, it's in Wexford County um, is when it originally started. Um, I believe I could be wrong with the date, but I believe this, it started in 1886 is when the first sighting of the dog man in Wexford County. Uh, but now people said there's sightings in Wisconsin. Um, there's some sightings in the UP. Um, so again, I think once a story kind of gets bigger and bigger, people go, Oh yeah, I saw the dog man in Ohio or Indiana. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those stories where people want to be part of the story. So they start saying that they did see the dog man in this state and vice versa. Right. But originally it started in Wexford County. Yeah. Of, I have a lot of the films that I've seen that you've worked on have been uh, short films. Mm -hmm. how, how many full length feature films have you been involved with? Um, I've been with, I, I have not, I haven't done any full lengths with mine um, because it's a, it's a lot of work. Sure. Um, but I've been a part maybe of three of one of the friends that I've done, um, probably three full length films I've been part of. Um, and I've seen how much work goes into it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I probably, um, probably going to wait a little bit to do my, <laughs> to do full length because it is a lot of work. So will uh, this be a short film then? So Fearsome Howl actually will be uh, actually full length. It's actually about almost two hours long, actually. Um, so the script is about a hundred and some pages. Um, and at the end, it's probably going to be at least two hours around that time frame. Okay. So it will be a lot of work, but I mean, yeah. many people here are anxious to see it. Um, as far as your other films, uh, maybe it's just the streaming service I have, but I, I had a very hard time actually being able to see much of your work where being an independent filmmaker, you know, that's, you know, obviously, uh, you know, getting your, your work out there to the public is, you know, maybe not as easy. Where can people go to see the work that you've done? And when Fearsome Howl does come out, uh, how will you distribute it? Um, so, <laughs> I mean, the, the, I'm always honest with people about the work that I do release. And I'm not really impressed with a lot of the work that I have released because of, the time frame of getting things done, but there's a few things I put on YouTube, especially my short films, um, which is Maine Genius Productions. It's um, literally Maine, like the state of Maine, and then Genius, and then Productions. And I have a few, a few uh, short films on there. Um, they're not the best, um, but it's something that I just release on. I mean, I was, you know what? People want to see it. People want to see their work, and so I put it on YouTube. Um, when Fearsome Howl gets released, we're actually hopefully to put in theaters. Um, that's the first goal is to put in theaters. It might be limited theaters. Definitely going to have a premiere in Michigan somewhere. And then we'll have a premiere here in North Carolina as well. 
Um, and then the guy that's been wanting to help us involve that's in LA, he's got connections in Hulu. Um, he's got connections in huge st- streaming platforms. Um, so probably in the end, it'll probably be on Hulu and those type of platforms as well. Okay. Well, there are a couple of burgeoning uh, film festivals going on in Michigan. Uh, one of them is is ours for World Goth Day. Uh, we <clears throat> prior to this year, World Goth Day had been like a uh, had been a cemetery picnic and a club event. But we, after COVID kind of calmed down, we are we're re-kickstarting it with a film festival. So, and there's also one starting up, I believe, in Grand Rapids. So you know, it, it seems like uh, your work would be ideal for that yeah i i we put dark trepidation in a film festival i think we 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 wrapped in 2018 and we've won i believe 22 laurels um and three of them are international so that went one of the and it was a short film it was like only like 25 minutes and it was an original story and i was actually surprised it actually went that far um but if we if we done a film like that again, it would definitely be redone a little bit different. But because in 2018, I mean, things were different back then, um, especially now with technology, everything is all upgraded and um, fancy cameras and whatnot. Um, but especially when people ask me, like, what are you going to film with Fearsome Howls? Um, so this is the concept we're filming with the Blackmagic 6K camera. And, uh, and then when we get to the actual full length, we're hoping to shoot with maybe an Ursa um, or Ari or the red um, just to kind of have that type of quality as well, but expensive camera, but it would be definitely worth it. Um, especially what a lot of like Netflix and theaters, they kind of look for those high quality type of equipment. Are there any other aspects of uh, Michigan folklore that, uh, you know, inspire you? Like uh, there's, I believe Detroit has is part of its kind of its urban legends. It has a small devil that's been around and supposed to have been seen since the 1700s. I mean, is there anything else uh, that way that you know makes you think I want to make a film about that? Um, I've I've only heard about the dog man in Michigan. Um, I didn't know anything about the devil thing uh, in Detroit. Um, but there's been a lot of things about moving up like the Mothman, um, which a lot of people have made a lot of films about that. Um, but there's actually a, when I was little, there's a story about the Michigan Lake or Lake Michigan. And it was about the snakeheads in Michigan. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that. And I would love to make some type of film about the snakeheads in Lake Michigan. Okay. Well, are there any additional like future projects that you'd like to make people aware of or? Um, what... um, we, I mean, I'm working on actually, I'm part of a few other short films that I'm going to be doing. I'm DPing and um, my just actually, I've, I've been having a lot of zoom calls with a lot of producers and writers and um, I'm working on a short film uh, called beautiful, which is directed by Carson. Um, I don't know how to say his last name, <laughs> um, but, uh, and then I'm working on a, another horror film, um, which is called the Lake Shore, which is going to be really, actually really interesting because this is the guy that's actually directing it. It's his actually first ever film that he's directing. And, uh, he saw some of my work of the behind the scene pictures and videos. He's like, Hey, I want you to be my camera operator. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and I've been helping just on a lot of other small little projects, um, just for people but mainly i mean just people getting ready to hopefully 
see how fearsome how goes um definitely check out my documentary um uh, which again the documentary won't be out until 2024 um but and then fearsome how probably won't start filming until 2024 but um but yeah i mean i i've always post things on facebook so it's my personal facebook um i mean my tiktok um, my instagram um especially i'm growing my tiktok i do a lot of on there behind the scenes of on set so it's just i've always want to be able to inspire people that feel like they they want something but they kind of like get stuck and i've been there um especially my documentary will talk about how i had to face bullying and mental health and depression anxiety and how i how i kind of had to fight that to get where i am today and it's when's got to realize that we might have a bad day, but tomorrow might be a better day. So we just got to make sure we do make sure that you, you love doing, uh, especially filming is my passion. So that's what makes me happy. It's what makes me not think about anything negative. Uh, faced a lot of negative things in my life, but filming is one of the things that keeps me going in life for sure. So if people want to stay updated on, what's coming next with you going to your Facebook page would be the best place. Yeah. Especially my Facebook. I post a lot of stuff on my Facebook, um, Instagram. I try to keep up. Um, but my Facebook's like my main type of update kind of, uh, place to look. Okay. Well, uh, we can put, uh, links to your page in the, uh, Michigan mausoleum, uh, Facebook group. Okay. Well, this has, uh, uh been a conversation with Jermaine Nix, the uh, filmmaker who's, going to make a one particular very very hairy michigan resident famous hopefully yes yes <laughs> the michigan man. well thank you very much for you know taking the time to talk to me thank you this has been the michigan mausoleum podcast and i have been rokas your host I would like to thank my very special guest for this episode, film director Jermaine Nix. Our intro was done by Miranda Guthrie. The Michigan Mausoleum is a World Goth Day Mid-Michigan production, all rights reserved. Stay dark.